0: This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Do you know the Lord? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know the Lord. No, I don't, I don't mean do you know about him. Do you know him? I was in Pensacola one time, and, and uh, Emmett Smith, the famous running back for the Dallas Cowboys, had grown up in Pensacola. There's an irony to this story. I'm an avid Kansas City Chiefs fan. I live in Kansas City, but but I grew up near Philadelphia, and I was a Phillies fan, Flyers fan, Sixers fan, and a Dallas Cowboys fan. Talk about irony. My uncle had gone to college with Roger Staubach at the Naval Academy, and so they were friends, and my grandmother turned me into an avid Cowboys fan. So I was loathed by my friends. How could a Philly guy, you know, near Philly, somebody near Philadelphia be a Cowboys fan? So long story. So I I walked into Emmett Smith's trading shop, Emmett Incorporated. I was going to buy a T-shirt. He had gone to high school there, and you know, in that town, his dad was there. His dad was a bus driver in uh, Pensacola, in in Escambia County. And I found out it was Mr. Smith, and I said, Oh, hi. I said, I'm, I've always been a fan of your son, and and uh, here to buy a T-shirt. And I gave him a tract. I told him I was a preacher. He said, Oh, that's really interesting. I said, Mr. Smith, the do you know the Lord? Yeah, I believe so. I said, does he know you? <laughs> well, that's a funny question. You see, Jesus said, on the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied thy name, and thy name cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess to them? I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So it's not what you do for God, it's whom you knew that will get you to heaven. Right. Did you know Jesus Christ? I said, think, think about this, sir. Um, we can all go to church and we know about God, but you know, I know about your son. I, I know some stats and I've kind of followed his career. and I, I know about him, I've never met him. But I said, now you know Emmett, don't you? He said, oh, yeah. probably as well as anybody, right? I said, Mr. Smith, you probably went to all his Pop Warner football games, didn't you? He said, yes, sir. I said, you followed him through high school. I said, you probably went down when he played at University of Florida and watched his Gator games. Yep. I said, you probably go to some NFL games. He well, you know, Thanksgiving. You know, he goes, I'd rather watch at home, he said. I said, um, I'll bet you changed a few of his diapers. He said, well, I usually left that to my wife. And uh, so we, we got talking. I said, now, Mr. Smith, you see, I know about Emmett Smith, but, but you know Emmett. You have a relationship. I said, sir... I know Jesus Christ, and I know this, knowing about him isn't enough to get you to heaven. He said, you must be born again. Amen. And I want to give you something, I hope you'll read this, because just going to church is not what gets you to heaven. And, and I would hope all of you would understand this, and I wasn't saying that to be judgmental of Mr. Smith at all, and he knew that. But it's not enough to know about Jesus Christ, you've got to know him. And if you don't know him, I hope you'll listen well tonight because I want to introduce you to him. We're going to go to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 17 tonight, if you will. Deuteronomy 17. It was a beautiful day. I did something I have never done before. I went down to the Outer Banks. I've been to all 50 states, and I have never been to the Outer Banks of North Carolina. And so I left the Radice's house about 5.30 this morning, and I drove, and I... uh, I went to Kitty Hawk and, and nothing was open there yet. So I, I went down to the Bodie Island um, lighthouse, took some pictures there, decided I'm just going to drive to Cape Hatteras lighthouse. So I did that too, took some pictures there, and then worked my way back up, and then just got out and took some pictures along the way. It was fabulous. And you know what I was thinking the whole time? My dad was a general contractor, and sometimes I'd drive by a house that my dad had made, and I'd point it out to friends i mine, like, hey, my dad built that house. You know what I was thinking today as I traveled? My father made all this. Not my not my heavenly, my earthly father, Richard Tozer Sr. Okay, he's he's with the Lord, but the one he's with is the one that made all that. Man, it was it was a pretty day, beautiful day. And I I think about this often. If a sin-cursed world is this pretty, what's a new heaven and new earth gonna be like? It's gonna be amazing. Well, we're in Deuteronomy 17. You know, the Apostle Peter wrote that you and I are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's interesting, in there one of the phrases is a royal priesthood. That's, that's unusual. In Old Testament times, a person was either a king or a priest, but he wasn't both. But in Revelation 1.6, the Lord says, He hath made us kings and priests unto our God. Now, most of you here are Baptists, and you know, we Baptists know something about the priesthood of the believer. We don't have to have a human priest to go before God, because First uh, Timothy 2.5 says, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So we have uh, an intermediary, it's the Lord Jesus himself. So you, you have direct access to the Father. You know about the priesthood of the believer. Let me ask you this, what do you know about the kingship of the believer? Your royalty. Join heir with Jesus Christ. Well, let me ask you, if you lived in a royal family, do you think things might be different for you? <laughs> look, at the, look at the mess that uh, Harry and Meghan are making right now. And you know, when you, and then there's Kate and William, you know what a contrast. If you're in a royal family, there's a lot of scrutiny on you, isn't there? And now Charles is king, you know, and it'd be interesting to see what happens in that country now. Now, I want to tell you something, if you know Jesus Christ, you're, you're kin to royalty, In fact, he's the king of all kings. Ought to be something different about your life. I want to give you a message tonight I've entitled, Life Fit for a King. Life Fit for a King. The reason we're going back to the Old Testament is because the frame of reference for you and me is the kings that Israel had. And so we're in Deuteronomy 17, and I'm going to begin the reading in verse 14. Very interesting because... Israel chose to change their theocracy, government directly by God, for a monarchy. You ever ever think, what are people thinking? I think that every day, frankly. What are people thinking? Can you imagine, you have God for your governor, your God is your king, and they say, no, we, we, we want an alternative. Okay, read with me. Deuteronomy 17, verse 14. When thou art come to the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me like as all the nations that are about me, thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee which is not thy brother, but he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord has said to you, Ye shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. It shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law, these statutes, to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children, in the midst of Israel. Now, the the meat of the message is going to come from verses 16 and following, but let me give you just a little background. Let me look at 14 and 15 just by way of setting the table for us, okay? So in 14, he says, okay, you're going to go to the land. What was the land where Israel was heading? Do you remember? what, What did they call that land? Canaan. Canaan was the promised land. What is Canaan a picture of in the Bible? Anybody know? Somebody give me feedback. What is Canaan a picture of? Okay, somebody said heaven. Full salvation. Victorious Christian life. Okay, your answer to that is going to depend whether you get your answer from the Bible or from gospel music. Because if you listen to quartets, you'll figure the promised land is heaven, but it ain't. Okay, bad grammar, but it's not. Um, why do I say that? You know, they sing about crossing over Jordan, entering into the promised land. Because when the people entered the promised land, there were still battles. There were still fatalities. Remember at Jericho? I mean, Achan hid the Babylonish garment and some gold and people died. Yeah, so the promised land is not a picture of heaven. It is a picture of the victorious Christian life. It's the place where we get to, we're not fighting the same battles over and over. There'll still be battles. But we're not fighting the same battles over and over. We're, we're seeing victory in our lives. That's a very interesting study in itself. So he says, you're going to go to Canaan. Now, that was a real place. This is real history. And ironically, he said, now, when you get there, you're going to say, ah, you know, we'd like to have a king that we can look at. See, God's a spirit, so you can't see him. We walk by faith, not by sight. So they said, you know, all these other nations have a king that they can see. We want one, too. Amazingly, God conceded this. He said, all right, I'll let you have a king, but here's the stipulation. Your king has got to be one from among your brethren. Okay, I would like your interaction here too. So, the people to whom God was speaking were what nationality? Jews, they're Hebrews. So, one from among your brethren means the king has to be a what? Jew, he's got to be a Hebrew. Yeah, let me make an application, okay? A foreign king wouldn't have worked for them. He wouldn't have understood their ways or their culture. The message I'm going to preach tonight will not work if you do not have a personal relationship with the Lord. You must be born again. That is the that is the starting point for the message I'm about to preach I'm going to preach primarily to Christians tonight but I don't want to lose anybody in the dust here let me say to you from the moment of introduction God's been burning my heart to to let you know you don't go to heaven because you do good stuff you don't go to heaven because you go to church you can only get to heaven by being born again what does that mean uh, John 1 12 says as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name the power what's that mean any of you ever have to practice power of attorney for a relative my mom got feeble and could not make decisions about property and such so my sisters and I received the authority to act as power of attorney okay power means the legal right to act in behalf of somebody else as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. I grew up in a church that wrongly preached the universal fatherhood of God and brotherhood of man. They said, oh, God is everyone's father. We're all everyone's brother. Wrong. No, we're not. Now, let me clarify. We are all creations of God. And you should value all humans because all men are created equal. Okay, you should, Everyone should be treasured as a special creation of God. But let me clarify something. We're not all children of God. Jesus said to some very religious Jews, You're of your father, the devil. And the lust of your fathers, you'll do. The Jews are his chosen people. You see, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't become part of the family of God until you receive Jesus Christ. Folks, why did Jesus die on the cross? It wasn't to die as some martyr, it wasn't to give us some example of selflessness. The reason Jesus died on the cross was to pay for my sins and to pay for your sins. You see, sometimes people think, well, you know, I'm a good person. What's the Bible say? There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Let me tell you, the reason a lot of folks really do not enjoy going to church, if you go to church without being part of God's forever family, going to church is a lot like going to somebody else's family reunion. Did you all ever go to somebody else's family reunion? How exciting is that? Not, okay? How how many of you ever went to another person's family reunion? Anybody here? Okay. Okay. Fellas, how many of you went because some, some girl you liked and they, she said, yeah, okay, I'm, there it is. Yeah, you come and hang out at our family And you'll go to the family reunion. You don't know anybody. You don't know their quirks, you know, and you're like, why am I even here? Going to church without knowing Christ as Savior is like going to somebody else's family reunion. No wonder you don't enjoy it. But it's a funny thing. When you go to family reunion, you know, you laugh at your uncle's jokes or roll your eyes, you know, and... And you enjoy certain people's recipes and avoid others. And so, you know, you you got the family figured out. Let me tell you, when you know the Lord is Savior, I, I got saved out of a background of listening to ACDC, Led Zeppelin, and uh, Van Halen. And, and I listened to music like this tonight and love it. How did that happen? Because as a 15-year-old, God changed my heart. I was saved at 10, but I finally yielded up my music to God. I don't just sit here because it's my ministerial duty to comment on the music and say I really like that. I really like that, and I have since I was 15 because God changed my heart. Amen. See, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Look, that's 2 Corinthians 5.17. If you're saved, you have a new nature. God works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure, Philippians 2.13. So if you're not saved, you're not going to enjoy church. By the way, it's a ridiculous idea that churches try to make themselves palatable to the world. See, the problem is not that we're not relevant. The problem is a lot of people are not relatives. You need to be a relative if you're going to enjoy church. And I'm not just trying to throw cliches out, okay? I'm not trying to be creative tonight. I'm just telling you, the problem is if you don't have a new heart, you're not going to enjoy church. So I'm I'm not trying to impress you with creativity. I'm just saying you need to be born again. All right, so let's go back to the passage. So One from among your brethren. The king had to be chosen. Oh, by the way, you may say, well, I don't know if I know what you're talking about. That's why we're here. My dad sat down with me shoulder to shoulder, and he showed me right out of the Bible how I could receive Christ as my Savior. And if you have any question about that, I'd love to talk to you about it. Any of these people on the pastoral staff, frankly, it doesn't have to be a pastor here. Anybody who knows the Lord here would love to show you how to know him. And we'll all be the first to tell you, you don't become a Christian by becoming a Baptist. You become a Christian by being born again. So if you don't understand that, please let us show you from the Bible what God says about being born again. It's not what we think. It's not what our church teaches. It's what God says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Saved from what? She just sang, I've come to save you. What save me from what? Sin, judgment, hell. That's why Christ died for our sins. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I want to break the passage into two areas. It's really simple if you want to follow along tonight. We're going to start with what not to do. Okay, what not to do? These are prohibitions for the king. Of prohibitions, what is the root of the word prohibition? prohibit that's a verb it means to just say no okay prohibitions for the king all right let's take a look so the lord says you're gonna have a king but here's some things that are no-nos here's what he's not to do all right and so pick up in verse 16 but he shall not multiply horses to himself i circled the word horses here's the first no-no nor cause the people to return to egypt to the end that he should multiply horses for as much as the lord has said to you ye shall not henceforth Sorry, he shall henceforth return no more that way. Neither shall he multiply wives. So I circled that word, wives, to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. So I circled silver and gold. And it it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. Now we'll get to the priorities for the king in a minute. We're going to start with the prohibitions. Okay, what are the prohibitions? Well, he was not to amass. He was not to multiply. Let's, let's make it tidy here, okay? War horses, women, and wealth. All right? War horses, women, and wealth. Why did God say that? It's interesting. Hold your place here. We will keep coming back to our text. Go to the New Testament book of 1 John chapter 2, if you will. 1 John chapter 2. I, I think every week at some point I take people to this very important passage of Scripture. 1 John 2, 15-17. We're going to look at it and I'll show you why. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Okay, so he says, love not the world. Well, wait a minute. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. And we're told, love not the world. Well, context determines meaning. Okay, what does the word cleave mean? Well, it depends. You cleave a piece of meat, what do you do? Cut in half. But in marriage, the Bible says, man shall leave father and mother, shall, be joined to, uh, shall cleave to his wife, and they two shall be one flesh. Direct opposite meaning, depending on the context, right? Okay, God so loved the world, that's, that's men, that's mankind. But love not the world, that's talking about sinful society. Society separated from God by men. It's the word cosmos, cosmos. Um, the cosmos usually refers to the, uh, the universe, you know. It has to do with orderly arrangement. In fact, it's the root of the word cosmetics, lady. Um, you know, other foundation can no man lay? No, that's the... <laughs> Cosmetics has to do with an orderly arrangement, okay? So what is, what is kind of the fiber that holds society together? Well, sadly, verse 16 tells you, Here, here's what drives society. Lust of flesh, lust of eyes, pride of life. I I want to give you a simple definition for those three because remember the book of Hebrews says Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. I've heard well-meaning people say this. I don't agree with it, but I've heard well-meaning people say any sin you could ever be tempted with, Jesus was tempted with it. I know they mean well, but is that accurate? Uh, Was Jesus tempted to set up a methamphetamine lab in the basement? There was no meth in Jesus' day. Now, was Jesus tempted to watch MTV when his parents weren't home? They didn't have television. I'm not saying this to be a smart aleck. I'm saying this to you. Obviously, there was not every temptation that you're going to face. What does he mean when he was in all points tempted like as we are? What he's talking about here, lust of flesh, lust of eyes, pride of life. Remember, turn the stones to bread, lust of flesh. Is, Is there a verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt not turn stones to bread? Does there need to be? I've I've known some women that could turn some bread to stones. But I have never known, probably some men too, but I have never known anybody that could have turned stones into bread. But Jesus could have, couldn't he? He was fasting. He was not going to break the fast at the suggestion of the devil. Okay, lust of flesh, desire to enjoy something. In fact, I'm getting ahead of myself. Jot it down. Lust of flesh equals a desire to enjoy something. I put the word pleasures in parentheses. Why do people get drunk? Oh, I just can't wait till I get busted and they take away my license. Is that why people get drunk? (laughs) Can't wait till I wrap my pickup truck around a telephone pole somewhere. No, it's the pleasure. Why do people do drugs? Can't wait till I have an addiction where I got to spend $500 or $1,000 a week on my habit. No, it's the high pleasures. Why do people engage in risky sexual behavior? Oh, my wife will probably find out and it'll just ruin everything. No, it's pleasure. It's like, what fish is going to go after a raw hook? You put bait on a hook to entice the fish, and the fish, unsuspecting, all of a sudden ends up on your lure or your hook. Satan knows how to use our desires to get us to do things that we know we shouldn't do. So, lust of the flesh, desire to enjoy something. Then there's lust of eyes. That's a desire to have something. I put the word possessions in parentheses. Um, So, Satan says to Jesus... Um, first turn the stones to bread. No, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So then he shows them all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He says, look, all this power will I give thee, the glory of them, and thou wilt worship me, all shall be thine. So in other words, you can have it now. Let's shortcut this whole thing. And, and how was that enticing to Jesus? As he sees the whole world, um, all the world empires at the time, it wasn't just the Roman empires. I mean, he's looking into China. You know, the whatever was the dynasty back then, I guess before the Ming dynasty back then. And, you know, maybe he sees the Mayan dynasty and the, the Americas. I, I don't know all that he's seeing at the time. He's seeing all the, all the kingdoms of the world and he's thinking they have all suffered under the lies of Satan for so long. And Satan is, you know, pr- I'm speaking parenthet- uh, proverbially here, but he's dangling the keys in front of him. Like this and saying, here look, tell you what, you just bow down, worship me, and I'll transfer the keys to you. Have it now. Desire to have something. And I mentioned the other night, he could not be ruler over the people before he first became redeemer of the people. But but it had to be tempting. Okay, lust of the eyes, desire to have something. Where does that play out for you and me? Oh man, I'll tell you, we're, we're a society deep, deep, deep in debt. And, and it's, it's so innocent so often you know like well if i could just if i could set up this payment plan i make enough money right now that i could afford this but what happens if we extend ourselves a little bit and then a little bit more and a little bit more next thing you know we're drowning in debt and then it creates problems in marriage and families etc we didn't intend to get there it's just it's just reel us in right lust of the eyes desire to have something well you You're in a very important position. You've got to have the nicest of clothes. Well, the nicest of clothes doesn't always mean, you know, that it has to be the name brand. But, oh, we can so easily get enticed, can't we? So that doesn't work. So Satan takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple, and he says, here, tell you what, you throw yourself off from here, because after all, it is written. Now we got Satan quoting scripture he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. And Jesus says, Get thee behind me, Satan. It's written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. What was the last um, enticement? Pride of life. Pride of life. Um, I put in, um, well, see if you can figure it out. I, I know where I'm going with this, but if, if lust of flesh is a desire to enjoy something. And if lust of eyes is a desire to have something, then the pride of life is a desire to be something. Yeah. Do you remember, remember before wokeness took over our military? It used to be that masculinity was not considered toxic. It was considered a necessity. And uh, there would be campaigns like, be all that you can be. And the few, the proud, the marines. Remember that? Okay. What was the idea? Nobody's motivated by being a high school dropout. Let's amount to something, right? Pride, okay, so, but pride is is a desire to be something. But Satan wants to warp that and it's it's position or prominence. You could use either of those words. So Satan is saying to Jesus effectively, hey, look, throw yourself off the temple because you're the son of God. He will move heaven and earth to swoop you up because you're too important for anything to happen to you. That's how he was all points tempted like us as we are. Lust of flesh, lust of eyes, pride of life. Okay, and all those errors. Every time you're tempted, it's one of those three or a combination of those three. Every temptation falls under one or a combo of those categories. Now we're going to go back to another Old Testament book. You tell me, beside the Lord himself, who was the wisest man who ever lived? Solomon. Solomon. And what was his vocation? What did, he, what did he, you guys know, what did he do for a job? King, yeah. King Solomon. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 10. Would you join me there? 1 Kings chapter 10. So you and I just saw the Lord said, okay, the kings are not to multiply war horses, women, or wealth. Okay, let's see what Solomon did. 1 Kings chapter 10. And I'm going to start in, let's see what verse I want to go to. Verse number. It's fourteen that we're going to go to First Kings ten. Uh, yeah, okay, and slide on down fourteen. And every time you see the word gold, I uh, I I circled it in my Bible. In fact, not just gold, but words like gold, silver, um, you know, ivory. Notice those words, all right? So here we are, verse fourteen. Now, the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 600 three score six talents of gold. Twice he mentions gold. Uh, verse 16, King Solomon made 200 targets of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went to one target. He made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three pound of gold went to one shield. Think about that. What's, what's gold lately? I think gold's been around $2,000 an ounce. Imagine three pounds of gold to cover one shield. Whew. Uh, Look at verse 18. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with the best gold. Verse 21. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. All the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon, that's his summer house, were of pure gold. None were of silver. I, I circled that. It was nothing accounted of in the days of Solomon. In other words, silver in that day was like pewter in colonial America. You ever been to Williamsburg? You know, all the cookware made out of pewter, right? It was just, everybody had that. Uh, Verse 22, the king had at sea a navy of Tarshish with the navy of Hiram. Once in three years came the navy of Tarshish bringing gold and silver and ivory and apes and peacocks. So King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth for riches, I circled that, and for wisdom. Look at verse 25, they brought every man his present vessels of silver, vessels of gold. And one more, verse 27, the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones. In other words, it's so plentiful, it's like rocks. Okay, if you've kept up with me, I've circled gold, silver, riches, ivory, You get the idea. There are riches everywhere, right? How much does it take to make a person happy? So why did God say, do not amass silver and gold? I mean, don't you need money to run a country? (laughs) Yeah! I wish somebody would tell our government that, right? So where do you get money? Well, if you're a government, you get it from the people. It's called taxes. So you know what our government's doing? Printing it. And it means nothing, and that's why we have so much inflation. Okay, so... Solomon, in their day, you either taxed the people or you went and plundered other people. Remember, to the victor belong the spoils. So, he's bringing money from all over the place. They'd go conquer territory and they'd mine it out. So you think, how much does it take to make a person happy? Why did God say you're not to amass gold and silver to yourself? You need, you need money. Listen, if you want a great perspective on riches, spend some time in First Timothy chapter 6. Uh, God has said having food and raiment covering let us be there with content for we brought nothing into this world it's certain we can carry nothing out they that will be rich fall into temptation a snare many foolish and hurtful us now he doesn't condemn money but he says charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high minded nor trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy that they be ready to distribute willing to communicate in other words there, there are two primary reasons for money, two primary reasons, to live and to give. To live and to give. One of my favorite stories, if you own a business, I would urge you to read the life story of R.G. Laterno. It's called Mover of Men and Mountains. It's a phenomenal biography. R.G. Laterno had no more than a sixth grade education. He started working in the foundry when he was a kid, learning to work, just hauling um, wheelbarrows full of smelting whatever else and working in the factory he developed a brilliant mind became an engineer in fact he was the one that designed earth moving equipment the giant earth moving equipment they used to build our interstates Um, he he built the machines that they used to build highways or um, roadways across North Africa which was pivotal to the allied forces winning uh, over the Nazis in World War II he built equipment that they used to go through the jungles of Peru He built offshore drilling equipment, uh, floating offshore rigs. He worked on one of the lunar uh, landing modules for the moon project. I mean, this man was brilliant, but here's the thing that stood out about him. Above everything else, he wanted to honor the Lord with his life. He began to tithe when he was a young man. Several times, he almost went bankrupt, but he said, I would never fail to tithe even when I didn't think I could afford it. And then he began to double tithe, and then he began to triple tithe And he got to the place very soon where he gave away 90% of what he earned and live off of 10%. And not only with his personal finances, he did that with his business finances too. Totally. I'm not telling you if you're not giving away 90%, you're not living for God. But I'm telling you, you talk about a man with a perspective of money. He realized money was a tool for eternal investment. You know the amazing thing? He was a multimillionaire. Well, he kept giving it away. See, God says, "Given it shall be given unto you." Good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. It's not wrong to have wealth. It's just wrong to cling to the wealth. And so Solomon says, I, I, "Gotta have more." God told them, "Do not amass wealth to yourself." But that's not all. Pick up now in um, the end of verse of, of chapter ten. Look at verse uh, twenty-six. I want you to now notice any. Term related to horses. So, terms like horses, horsemen, chariots. Okay, because you've got to have horses for horsemen to sit on, and you've got to have chariots. I mean, you've got to have something to pull a chariot, all right? So, notice any word related to horses. Verse 26, Solomon gathered together chariots. So, I put a box around this, rectangle this time. And horsemen, I boxed that in. He had 1,400 chariots, boxed that in. Uh, 12,000 horsemen whom he bestowed in the city for chariots, Um, Look at verse 28. Solomon had horses, oh, notice this, had horses brought out of where? Egypt. He not only got what God said don't get, he went where God said don't go. You've probably heard preachers say this before, but sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. Have you ever heard a preacher say that? It is so true. Here's the wisest man who ever lived, and he's directly defying God. By the way, why did God say not to amass horses? You need horses for war? You know, there are horses and then there are horses. Well, if you're going to battle, war horses would be a good idea. But you see, the Bible says, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we'll remember the name of the Lord our God. He knew the tendency was they would build military might to the point that they would just factor God right out of it. We got this. So again, it's not wrong to have money, but God warned about too much. I won't have horses, but he said, don't amass them to yourself. You know, that's the thing. Who's to say what's too much? That's where we got to ask God about that. Because we can't be the arbiters of what's enough. we got to ask God for that. Go to chapter 11. Now I want you to notice any words related to strange women. Okay, so we had war horses, we had wealth, now we're looking at the women. And and I'll tell you, I I put a cloud around these, you know, kind of swirly thing. Circle around the gold, boxes around the horses, swirly cloud around the women. You know why? Because if a man gets his eyes on the wrong woman, his head gets lost in the clouds. So, chapter 11, verse 1. King Solomon loved many strange women. I put the cloud around. What's strange mean? Not, Not like she's a weirdo. It's like you told your children, don't talk to strangers. What's that mean? People you don't know. See, a wife is given by God. Okay, one man, one woman for life. That's God's intention. But what did the kings so often do? They had a whole harem. God specifically forbade all these things. Isn't it incredible? Let's see what Solomon does. He loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said to the children of Israel, you, you shall not go into them, neither shall they come to you. For surely they'll turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave to these in love. And he had 700 wives. Aye, aye, aye. Princesses and 300 concubines. Secondary wives. So do the math. It's not hard. 700, 300, what are we up to? Can you imagine trying to keep track of all those anniversaries? <laughs> and, I, and again, I'm not saying this to be I'm, I'm not intentionally trying to be humorous tonight, but it is so crazy. Do you ever look at yourself and think, what was I thinking? You're Solomon thinking, I know what will make me happy, really. How many marriages does it take to make you happy? You know what God said? One. One man, one woman for life. Teenagers let me and, and 20-somethings and unmarried, so let me just tell you, the way God intends, the marvel of marriage should be between one man and his wife for a lifetime. Amen. And it should be that when you go on a honeymoon, it's not like just a vacation, you start your married life off. That, that's a, a relationship that you've never engaged in before. And it is the glue that is unique between the two of you that nobody else has ever experienced with you. That's how God intends it. Man, it was that way. It's that way for me. I'm I'm coming up on 30 years of marriage. I'll tell you, I love my wife. And I'm so glad that we were taught God's principles. So, Solomon's got a thousand of them. Go on, verse um, 4, it came to pass when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart. Guess who told him that would happen? God did. But he did it anyway. All right, let's go back to Deuteronomy. We need to finish this up. So, I've spent all my time on what not to do, and you would think, yeah, I knew all that. Yeah, so did he, but he did it anyway. It will not take me long to give you the what to do, okay? So number two is what to do, and these are priorities for the king. And I'll just spell them out really simply because it's pretty straightforward. The problem is, just like Solomon, you know what you shouldn't do, but let me ask you. You ever get derailed by lust of the flesh? Pornography is a rampant problem, not just in society, in churches. Divorce in our churches is just out of control. Uh, money, just obsession with money. Like, why? Well, I, I couldn't go to the mission field. I mean, they don't have whatever your favorite store is there. There are souls. Well, yeah, but that's for somebody else. So sometimes we don't realize how materialistic we are. Pride? Oh my. Most church splits don't really occur over doctrine as they do over personalities. Only by pride cometh contention. How about in your marriage? Soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Only by pride cometh contention. Contention. You know, when there's tension in our marriages, it's because somebody's got pride. Oh yeah, I've been telling her that! Yeah, do you see any pride in that? So so we finish with this then. We all know it's not right, but how often we've just been reeled in by lust of flesh, lust of eyes, pride of life. We're back in Deuteronomy verse 18 down to the end of the chapter it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priest the Levites and it shall be with him and he shall read there in all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God to keep all his words and his statutes to do them that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren so in other words not lift that he turn not aside from the commandments to the right hand or to the left To the end, to this intention, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Okay, so what to do? These are priorities for the king. First of all, make his own copy of the law. Make his own copy of the law. Now, it's interesting. Very few people owned a copy of the Bible in that day. They were handwritten, and it was tedious work. They would typically have scribes who would do this, and they would count every character, every jot that was the hebrew yod the smallest letter every tittle that's a little diacritical marking they would count characters and spaces it was all done by hand on scrolls and it it was expensive to own even a single copy of scripture do you know how most people learn scripture they memorized it and they they put it to music that's what the psalms were about in our christian school back in kansas city we had a we had an assignment. All the kids before they graduated had to take at least one psalm and put it to music. And I remember one of the kids had put Psalm 150 to music. I've never memorized the psalm, but I know it by memory. Huh? We sang it Praise ye the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in the firmament. Of his power. I could go through the whole psalm. It's six verses. But we learned it because we set it to music. That's how most people learned it. They had to memorize it. The kings were told, you get a personal copy. You make your own copy. Now, it would have been powerful for them to do it by hand. Most of them probably would have employed a scribe to do it for them. But let me, let me make an application. You ought to have your own copy of the Bible. Okay? By the way, not just on your phone. I'm not opposed to electronic. I don't, you know I, know, I know some of yours, you know, you do everything with your phone. You pay your bills with your phone. and I know. But, you know, would it bother you if somebody got sworn in on his iPad? <laughs> well, it's got the Bible on there. Yeah, and it has Candy Crush and Instagram and whatever else on there too, right? There's something about having a pen and ink Bible And making notes in it. Again, I I use multiple electronic devices. I have an iPad. I have a phone. with. I'm not opposed to that. But man, get in the habit of marking your Bible. This Bible, I I have a study Bible that's a wide margin so I can make a lot of notes in But I took a full year to just go through this and mark it up before I preached out of it because it's just what makes things stand out. Don't be afraid to write in your Bible. This is God's love letter to you. So he's to make his own copy of the law. And then... He's to meditate daily in God's word. Meditate daily in God's word. If you notice back here, he says he'll write him a copy of the law out of the the priests, the Levites. And notice this then, it says, he shall read therein how often? All the days of his life. Hey, let me ask you something. If you did something all the days of your life, how often would that be? Every day. Somebody said nothing that does not occur daily will ever dominate your life. That's well said. Nothing that does not occur daily will ever dominate your life. So if I ask you what dominates your life, it's like, oh, Jesus. Coffee? News? Grandchildren? Your favorite hobby? Not necessarily bad things, but you say, Jesus, how? How does he dominate your life? I determined as a teenager I was never going to shut the light off at the end of the night if I hadn't read something from the Bible every day. Cuz you know the Bible says give us this day our what? Daily bread. Now let's talk about food. Okay, physical food. But if you need physical food, remember this, man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. How many of you eat at least two meals a day? Okay? How many like me three or more? Yeah. How often do you read your Bible? Give us this day our daily bread. I know that's physical, but man shall not live by bread alone. How much more you need the spiritual. Job 23.12 says, I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Hmm. So in Psalm 1, we read this, verse 2. His, speaking of the godly man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night. Uh, Joshua 1.8 is the only time you find the word success in our English Bible. It says this, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Only time you see success in the English Bible. And and what's it connected with? Meditating on God's word. Tie that into 1 Timothy 4.15. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Psalm says prosper, Joshua says success, 1 Timothy says profiting, all connected with what? Meditating. You know what meditate means? To chew the cud. It literally means to ruminate. What animals do we think of when we think chew the cud? Cows. So, so when I say it, I always say it like this, meditate. <laughs> I think anybody who's ever heard me preach will, say that at some, will hear me say that at some point. It, it, The Lord says it's the key to being a success. So I always say, "Mm, meditate. Because sometimes what we do, we read the Bible, (laughs) you know, and think, holy, holy, holy. I read my Bible. And somebody says, what would you read for your devotions today? Oh, it was uh, Genesis, uh, chapter 37. Oh, yeah, what was that about? Uh, Joseph and the coat of many colors. That's good. What would you get out of your devotions today? Uh, Um don't wear a multicolored garment your brothers might get jealous sell you to slavery okay you know what happened there you didn't meditate I keep a pen and every day I write down some key things read reflect and remember read is what chapters did I read just note that reflect is my meditation that's where I write down key thoughts and then remember is my journal entry Somebody could add request in there too. I keep a separate prayer journal, but you could put request in there too. So read, reflect, remember, request. If you want to put that in there, write things down. Jonathan Edwards said, "My my father taught me to do my thinking with a pen in hand." I'll never forget this analogy. I was in um, England and Scotland on a mission trip when I was a uh, between my freshman and sophomore year high school, and we had spent two months in England, and then we did two weeks in Scotland, and we met this man named Pastor Leslie Roberts. He was a a born-again um, Wesleyan pastor, and he wore the black clerical robe like my United Methodist ministers when I was a kid with the backward collar. But this man was a born-again believer, and he, he was talking to us. He said, young people, you're here ministering to others. He said, I wonder, do you meditate on the word of God? And you know, I was I was brand new in churches like this, and I thought meditation was something that, you know, orange-clad monks did or people in yoga pants. Um, So, meditate, what do you mean? He said, meditate. It means to ruminate, to chew the cud. Now, you're all Americans. What animal do you young people usually think of when you think of meditate? We all said, cow. He said, well, we've got some other animals here in Scotland, and they chew the cud, and you've seen them everywhere. What do you see? Sheep. He said, I want to teach you how to meditate. Take a familiar passage. Let's go with a shepherd psalm. Let's go with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's let's just take the first sentence, young people. The Lord. He said, tell me, teenager, who is the Lord? Somebody said, God. Somebody said, well, he's, uh, that means Jehovah, I am that I am. Somebody said, well, he's Jehovah Makedish, the God who sanctifies us. He's Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals us. Jehovah Rohi, which is that one, the Lord our shepherd. Um, he's Jehovah Sh- um, Sidkenu, the Lord our Righteousness. Somebody else said He's El Shaddai, God Almighty. Uh, you know, we started going through all these names. Somebody said He's Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's the way, the truth, and life, the resurrection of life, the bread of life, the water of life. He said, that's right, the Lord is my shepherd. Then you go to the next word. It's a wee little word. Is. What's that mean, teenager? What part of speech is it? Well, we are all out of school for the summer. Who wants to do English in the summer, right? (laughs) He said, anybody know what part of speech? You know, the English gurus said, uh, verb. What kind of verb? Linking verb. What tense is it in? Present. Ah, wee little word, mighty important. The Lord is my shepherd. It's not he was, but then I sinned and he gave up on me. It's not like, well, he will be in the future. He is right now and always will be my shepherd. You go to the next word. It too is a wee little word. My. What part of speech? Personal possessive pronoun. That sounds good with a scotch broke. Personal possessive pronoun. He said, what what do pronouns do? They substitute for another noun. Possessive has to do with relational. He says, follow this. The Lord's my shepherd. He's not just the pastor's shepherd. He's not just me, mom, and dad's shepherd. He's my shepherd. Then you go to the next word. Shepherd. What does a shepherd do? Somebody said they lead the sheep. Somebody said they protect the sheep from predators. (laughs) Some smart-aleck kid, and I don't think he meant to be smart. He's like, well, yeah, like sometimes like some wolf comes and carries him off, you know, and he'll go club the wolf, or sometimes like the lamb walks off by itself, and And like, so I've heard that they'll break the leg of the lamb and carry it till it And that is true, by the way. He said, I, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Your shepherd loves you enough to do that. He said, young people, that's one sentence. And I want you to notice what we got out of it because we meditated. I have never forgotten that. I'll tell you what, you put that principle in practice, it'll change the way you read your Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> Six verses there, you got something to chew on all week. So, he's to make his own copy of the law, meditate daily on God's Word, and finally, mind the teachings of God's truth. Mind the teach. You ever say to your kids, you mind me, what's that mean? Not just listen to me, do it. Do it. So he says in verse 20, that his heart be not lifted up, but that he turn not aside from his, the commandment, right hand or left, that he may prolong his days. You know, when you do it, you'll be blessed. You know, Psalm was the misest man in all the world, and God said, "Don't amass war horses, women and wealth, and what did he do? Exactly what God said, "Don't do." You think you might have a tendency to do that? You think I might have a tendency to do that. But what's the remedy? Priorities for the king. Make the scripture your own. Meditate daily. Meditate. In fact, I want you to say that with me. Would you all say it with me? And here's what we'll do. I'm watching, and if you don't say it, I'll have you come up and do a solo, okay? All right, let's say it together. Meditate. Chew the cut. Meditate daily in God's Word, and then mind the teachings of God's truth. That's how you live life, fit for a king. Father, thank you for the opportunity to look in your Word. Thank you for the Old Testament pictures. And uh, I pray we would... I pray we'd not just be stirred. We sure don't just want to be amused by your word. We want to be transformed in our living by the renewing of our minds. So please use what we've heard to make a difference in this. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757 488 3, 2, 4, 1. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.